Good day, listeners, and welcome to today's episode and season three, our first episode of season three of Say Word. Yes, we are back. As you all know, Say Word is a podcast that we started, and the goal is to inform, offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers can connect with and our listeners can connect with. So it's the same thing. We haven't changed one bit. And we started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I am your host, Ahmed. I am reporting live from Queens and helping me make today's episode a success. I got three good brothers. I got Hirsch, aka bilingual, if you count body language. So yes, he does not speak any other languages but English. In other words, we got Eddie K. AKA meet me at the gym at 6 a.m. fam. Holla at me, Eddie. And we got our boy Hassan, Hassan, AKA Shazam. Happy to have you gentlemen here. And it's been a while. I know, I know. It's so nice to hear that intro again, bro. It's been replaying in my head a couple of weeks um, leading up to this episode. And uh, I, I, in writing the bio, I think I should have mentioned that I speak Somali. It's broken though. Uh, will be I've heard your Somali, here. bro. It's, it's, I, I wouldn't yeah, say it could do some, it could use some. <laughs> I don't know if you can count it as a language. <laughs> so we speak of my my. So our uh, mm-hmm. my of my my isn't too too bad. The reason why I've like never learned it growing up. Now I don't care so much. As you get older, you care less. But like it's just because you get roasted. Like you you try a word. Other cultures like they <laughs> encourage it. They're like oh like like he he said this, and then they go ex- they get excited, and then like you mispronounce like something in, in Afmaimai or Somali, and it's like you get roasted uh, yeah, yeah. mercilessly. 100%. Too. 100%. And even on, and, and I, now that I think about it, the body language, what I meant by that is I speak a lot with my hands. Ah. So, yeah, <laughs> when I travel you're a, you're to like foreign countries. Brother. You're a Toastmaster, like, brother. <laughs> when I travel to foreign countries, I can usually get a lot across just by sort of the charades games that I play with, with locals. So... I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, it, it's funny enough, interesting for on my side of things. Like I felt my parents like exclusively spoke Somali at home. So I thought that was normal, even though I was in Canada. So uh, it gave me like a good base or whatever. So I've noticed with like it was easier to con- con- like switch, like co- like switch into Somali, like converse and then switch back out. So that was a slight flex. I was just thinking the same thing. Slight <laughs> flex. Slight flex. Slight flex. Light flex. <laughs> Quick question for you. Are you facing any additional restrictions in in New York? Well, we have to show our vaccine cards when we go into an establishment. That's really about it. And you have to wear masks. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm used to the masks. I I like got a whole collection of like matching masks for for my outfits. So I'm, I'm team masks all the way, man. Looking into some Burberry style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chanel. Master the new fitteds. Master the new fitteds. Gucci DR masks. I, I will say the funny thing I heard about our new restrictions is that they reduce the capacity limit for outdoor events to 25. Mind you, it's um, December in Canada. So yeah. a blanket of snow. People so. outdoors that yeah. I feel like the police should leave you alone. It's, it's literally a blanket of snow. Shout, shout out to our legislators. <laughs> uh, speaking speaking of language, let's let's get into our fun topics, gentlemen. Our first fun topic, and it's it's translating office slang or office language. Now, we're all guilty of using it. I use it. I find myself using it on a personal basis. 
the the infamous uh, let's connect uh, and what have you. Let's start off with with you guys and, and talk through what are some of the 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 office slang that make you cringe the most. Eddie, let's start with you. One that makes me cringe the most, I think it's either like, let's double back on this, or, <laughs> uh, especially in a meeting, especially if you come up with an idea. Oh, right? oh, let's oh, double back. Idea. Let's double back on this. What well. the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one. Uh, it's, it's a variation of let's touch base next yeah, week. No. Let's circle back. Yeah, circle back. Let's circle back. Um, and then there's also like, um, I think some buzzwordy, like you have to find synergies, improvise. Mm-hmm. I think those are like some of the few ones that I keep on um, hearing during the pandemic. What are you guys? Yeah. Okay. So, um, can we take this offline? Um, <laughs> take this off- Translate that for us. It depends, right? It could be like, you're getting berated with questions and, and, and you cannot answer them to be honest. And, and it's a white towel, right? But that's usually actually for someone who's above you thing, right? Like you're, you're just nervous. I feel like if it's somebody who's on the same level as you, it's akin to saying like, meet me in the parking lot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So the next one is let's park that idea. There's no valet service for dumb ideas. Um, the last one is like maximizing group synergy, right? Mm. I don't understand why people talk to you like you're an Autobot. (laughs) (laughs) I hear it from time to time, right? You know, what's interesting about office slang or office language, whatever it is you want to call it, is you can like, I always like liken it to like, I'm meeting someone outside of the outside of the office and you're speaking to them and depending on which can you say vernacular? I guess vernacular, depending on what vernacular they use, whether they're just talking to you like a normal person or they're talking to you with office slang, you can typically tell like where you stand, like a relationship wise to them. I always find that interesting. Absolutely. It's a language into itself. Right? Yeah. So please advise. Please advise if you're going to do your job or not. No, one of my favorites that I've seen like at, at, at a few jobs that I've been at um, in certain email chains where certain things get lost in translation or whatever, or, like certain documents can't be found. It's like, look, as per my last email, <laughs> as discussed, <laughs> as previously discussed, it's supposed to be like, I know you saw my last, <laughs> but let me, let me reiterate for you. I've seen that a few times. And and what I do just to keep it passive aggressive, because that's kind of my style is, is there something I'm missing? Mm -hmm. Question mark (laughs) when there's nothing I'm missing and and you and I both know. (laughs) (laughs) And they're on the spot and there's like a whole audience. I think it's the audience when everyone is CC'd, like there's not really much wiggle room. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I find I change my use of regards. I'll put kind regards if I'm begging for something. <laughs> really? Not even thanks? <laughs> kind regards follows a request always. So, yeah. No, the ones I feel like I've, I've rinsed the most, especially through like job applications, is, and it starts to feel really phoned in now, is like, thank you for your time and consideration. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch with you. Uh, <laughs> It's like, we'll add you to our blocked email list. <laughs> oh, office slang, office language. Um, let's, we'll, we'll pivot topics to something completely different and, and move away from kind of the language piece. And, and for our next fun topic, 
there's there's a bit there's a lot of or a ton of problematic parts to this one um given given the situation there and what we're going to be talking about is the recent uh, announcement from King Jong Un where he banned citizens of North Korea to wear leather coats and 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 mind you the, the reason for the decision wasn't done because of the well-being of the country it, it also wasn't done for economic reasons it wasn't done because it was also a threat to the security of the country. Uh, the reason for the ban was to stop citizens from stealing his style. And and yes, I, I didn't make any mistake there. A source close to the party noted that wearing clothes designed to look like the highest dignity is an impure trend to challenge the authority of the highest dignity. And what this means is that this gave police the complete authority to essentially direct the public not to wear leather coats because it's the party's directive to decide who and who cannot wear them. So like literally a police can go on the street. If you're wearing a leather coat, they can basically confiscate it from you. Um, and I, I, I think there's so many problematic things to this story, um, but we're not going to get all political and, and deep with this topic uh, since we're treating it today as a fun topic and we don't want to divest into the the politics are on it. But gentlemen, what's your thoughts when you hear about this recent decision? I think um, I think there was like a funny piece uh, by Trevor Noah uh, when the story came out. And okay. I quite laughed about it because you've heard of fashion police and then yep. this, like, this guy comes out literally <laughs> <laughs> with an actual fashion police. <laughs> In the flesh. Um, but I think it's a bit, you know, uh, coming from Uganda, we have had our series of dictatorships. Yeah. Um, and also, like, within the African continent, you have, like, different countries where you have dictators have done a lot of, like, really weird and messed up shit. Um, but this is just, like, a whole other level where, like, you're now also patrolling how people dress um, based on how you want to look. Um, but I think it just, it, it's ridiculous uh, on one hand because it's a leather jacket, but then on another hand, it just also shows like, to what extent power can actually corrupt or make people feel so, um, so entitled to how they perceive themselves that um, their ego does not allow others to also just enjoy in something very small and whimsical. Mm-hmm. What's, what's crazy is that like people started only to wear it. I think they, like what I read was that like it, it, it started becoming a trend in 2019 because that's when he started to wear leather coats. So like if anything, people are wearing it because they revere the guy. Mm-hmm. They're not mocking him necessarily. Only no. one man can have all that leather. <laughs> I used to have this coat actually that like I had spent like months of allowance on, but it was a leather coat with like all of the NBA teams logos on it. Uh, I know oh, that's hard. That's yeah. Hard. It was, I don't even know where that jacket is now, but so it had the Bobcats logo. No, it had the Hornets. This was even <laughs> before the Bobcats days. Yeah. No. Don't disrespect me. And some Bobcats. <laughs> so my thoughts on this, they range because the news that comes out of North Korea, we have to take it with a grain of salt because it's just like, you don't know what's true, what's not true. The validity of it is not so important though, because we're treating it as a, a, a fun topic. Never have I heard of a man monopolizing any sort of drip. So this is, to me, kind of crazy on the Kim Jong-un side. Personally, I think... Leather jackets are okay. 
So I wouldn't, uh, I wasn't supportive of the ban, but I think my ideas would have changed if he announced a ban on ankle socks. That's just my, <laughs> I, think I would have been in full fledged support. Cause it's like three quarters of your foot with a sock. I've always, I've always just been against ankle socks. So if he, one step further, if there were leather ankle socks and us from the Muslim community, we know these exist, brothers, you have to admit these exist, the leather ankle socks. <laughs> I think that's where we can find synergies just to go back. <laughs> Man, there's like toe socks now I've heard. So it's not just ankle socks anymore. Yeah, no, I just, I, I, I don't get it. That's personally what I would have been. Yeah, I don't quite know how much people this would affect. Uh, I don't imagine that would be like top of mind for most. No, people. so apparently it was a big thing. Like, um, so like, uh, of course, a lot of people from more like impoverished communities were wearing synthetic leather, of course, right? That was being imported from from China. Like, it was started to become a trend in terms of numbers. That we, we like, it didn't get that specific. Frankly, I don't think it's a story that deserves coverage. Just kind of funny to to think mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I wouldn't. I for me, I would ban clothing with unnecessary symbols or logos plastered all over. That would kind of be my thing. Gucci, 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 yeah. Gucci everywhere. A lot of people they they spend money on it, so they want you to know what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Gucci like plastered all over. I feel like there's two like um, subsets of like the products they make. One that just scream their brand. Yeah, uh, and then one that is more subtle. Um, that you wouldn't even know, for example. So, and I'm uh, I'm more impressed by those pieces because they, I feel like they put some some more time and sophistication into them. That's why I'm supportive of Burberry or Gucci masks because if you're wearing a Gucci mask, it logic follows that you're wearing a Gucci shirt. Oh yeah, I didn't. Meanwhile, it's Haynes. You're calling people into thinking Haynes is Gucci. I know. I know. Um, I I think for me, it's a, I think a lot of people have been in the position before, uh, never presidents of of countries, but um, I think a lot of people have been in positions before where they, they dressed up, they had like, you know, that, that, that specific fit that they wanted to, to, to impress people with whenever they're in social gatherings. And then there's that one person that's wearing the exact same thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I feel as though Kim Jong-un just, just saw a lot of people walking off with his drip, man. He's like, yeah. you know what? I'm in a position uh, to make a call on this. And and he did it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, if he, if he could control the Nike app, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> control. <laughs> right, <laughs> Eddie. What what piece of clothing would you ban if you were Kim Jong Un? Ah, uh, man, what piece of? I think the Uggs, man. Why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? The wow, that's a controversial. You're, one. you're gonna have a lot of people on your neck. You're man. gonna get canceled, man. From they look ugly though, but they're, they're so making them for men too. Huh? Women's Uggs or men's Uggs or the brand? Both, man. They're just ugly, man. Just wow, like... you're getting canceled, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> See, episode one, season three. Wow. Uggs, <laughs> yeah. okay, tell us more. Um, I don't know. I think I've seen how they look after they've been through the snow and drenched. Like, they, yeah. their quality begins to deteriorate. Fine, they look good when you 
outside the shop but then like in terms of practicality um and also like being able to um survive like especially our winters in canada yeah um I find them to be just like nonsensical. It's just like a fashion statement, but yeah. it's a really ugly fashion statement. And people can come at me, um, but it is, I think those are one of the few things I would like ban. Um, yeah. Just because of this, looking at them, it's just like, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Mm. So if your significant other got you Uggs as a birthday gift, <laughs> what's your reaction? Return to Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Trial separation. <laughs> she should know better. And Uggs, that's a good one. Uh, this is a, a weak transition, but I'll do it. We're rusty. It's still our first episode in a while. But <laughs> but uh, in recent news, and this is shifting into our main topic, Barbados cut ties with the British monarchy uh, recently at the end of November. And it was a big month for, for Bayesians that live in Barbados and all over the world, right? They officially became a republic. And so what that essentially means is that they're going to actually replace the British monarch as its head of state, severing its remaining colonial bonds after 400 years in the making. And so what they did was it was a huge monumental step for them. They also welcomed in Sandra Mason as the first president who was, and she was instrumental in making this move happen. Um, my question to you, gentlemen, is was a move like this necessary? I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like all of the other issues that are plaguing Barbados, right? For instance, like the impact of their economy, like tourism has taken a big hit. So with all these other pressing issues happening in the country, did it make sense for this constitutional change? Uh, what's your take? Yeah, so the t- um it would have been interesting to get LSE's take on this. Um, I'm sure he would have had a lot of interesting points. Um, I think the the topic made news just because it's been a while since this was brought up in discussion. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would have been surprised um, to find out the British monarchy's reach. So uh, I believe there's around 16 countries where... the 15 with Barbados out of the... Out of yeah, the picture. About it. So um, where Queen Elizabeth is still the head of state. And I think the last one to be taken off was Mauritius in the 90s. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just been a while. I feel like on the in the in the grand scheme of things, um, I believe there were there were climate change, for example, is a huge issue for mm-hmm. the country of Barbados. Uh, rebuilding their economy. I know they've been hit, as you mentioned, Ahmed, with tourism. Yeah. So I struggle to speak on behalf of them just because I'm not a, a, um, a citizen myself, but I think it was important from a symbolic standpoint, right? Um, from a standpoint of revisiting uh, the British monarchy's role in these, in these states, it, it's important to open that discussion back up again because neighboring countries like Jamaica, for example, people would be surprised to know that the queen is still the head of state there. So uh, for these countries that have like a really embattled history with things like their colonial past, I think it's, it's a symbolic gesture to mm. move ahead, um, to kind of let the country put that in their rearview mirror. Um, but on the, in the grand scheme of things for politicians, I feel like they're always legacy building. 
Um, so I'm not sure if mm. it changes the actual day-to-day lives of people that much. Um, I'm skeptical about how much it actually changes the lives of people on the ground, but I think it, it renews a path for for other countries to to take a look at their their relationship with the monarchy. Uh, one one guy from from Barbados, um, closely affiliated with Sandra Sandra Mason, the way he put it was that this move, like to your point, Hirsch being symbolic, was equivalent or was likened to like you know a child moving out of the nest getting his own, her, his, him or her getting their own mortgage, getting their own cars, like kind of just doing their own thing. Um, but to your point, like what, what's next, like what's going to happen after um, Eddie, what's, what's your perspective in all this? Do you, do you see change on the horizon for, for Barbados from what you know so far or to Hirsch's point, is it just more symbolic, more for like legacy building for, for Sandra Mason? What's your take? Yeah, that's, um, I think some really great points uh, raised. Um, and to piggyback on those points, um, <laughs> I would, I think I would say, yeah, it definitely, <laughs> is, <laughs> it definitely is, say, a very symbolic approach. I think if we have read Franz Fanon, Wretches of the Earth, um, there were a lot of countries that cut ties with the British Empire and monarchy uh, for going into independence. And I'm speaking of a lot of, say, African countries. So a lot of it was just to like cut their ties there and we're done with the British colonial rule. We're going to be independent. And what followed afterwards was just a series of calamitous events in many cases, like a lot of like institutions hadn't really changed or morphed. Um, and a lot of like the structural issues still remained intact. And a lot of the countries still were still connected to a British, like say, uh, country or to some monarchy through the Commonwealth of Countries, which is like an organization of formerly colonized countries um, that do uh, engage or have some kind of relationship with one another being led by Britain at certain point as well. So Barbados is still part of the Commonwealth. Yeah. So that does it. That means that in still some regards, they may have cut ties officially, constitutionally with the British um, monarchy as well. But that doesn't mean that they still cannot get some kind of like donor funds or anything of the sorts from that side of uh, the water for a country moving forward. I think they have. Uh, the opportunity to see exactly how other nations which have cut ties with the British uh, monarchy to see exactly what can be done next. But I think the road ahead will definitely uh, mean that a lot of the uh, onus can is now left to the legislators of that country to decide how they want to, I think, progress with economic issues, progress with um, like say climate change and also other political political social issues. Not being from Barbados, I think it is like a big big win for them. However, I think there it this doesn't really change the dynamic of the existing issues. I think they still need to work through some of the other um, existing issues within the country. And I think those are things that were out of the ambient of of the monarchy as well. And for countries like Canada, New Zealand, and Australia still look up to the queen. Those are also white settler countries at the same time, right? So they still have some kind of like way of seeing the queen as part of their own, whereas most other countries that, that were either African or 
born of African slaves as well, having that separation, I think, is really important. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good, important distinction as well. Whatever incentive there is, there's less of an incentive for the Canada, the Australias, and the New Zealand of the world to kind of take the move Barbados made. Um, do you see this trend happening at an accelerated rate? Um, I think it depends really on like the nature of, um, I think it depends on the politics of other, other places and also like the need for it. Some people still benefit from it. Some people still have some kind of uh, attachment to them. And even a separation does not, it, even like a breakage in, in writing does not mean a actual like intellectual separation from it. Like so yeah. if you look at some of the French African countries as well, they mm-hmm. still have like a strong linkage to France. Yeah. Uh, monetary wise yeah yes exactly yeah. right and even cultural um, too cultural mm-hmm. as well like they still yeah. see like french culture as part of their own yeah. so i would say that there is also a little bit of a cultural aspect that has to be worked on i think it's not just like changing it constitutionally mm-hmm. but then you also have to like start from the ground up culturally mm-hmm. institutions like other aspects education like even finances as well like how do you really like make something of your own right and mm-hmm. i think that's where it's in the newspapers they say like oh like great they're now they're no longer they're now their own republic as well but simply say like putting on a suit a new suit doesn't mean that you have changed interestingly uh barbados did it through legislation right they didn't hold a referendum on this which is a big controversy for them too yeah. huge controversy yeah. for them too in 2009 st vincent actually um held a referendum on, on changing the constitution and it failed. I know Australia itself uh, had a, held a referendum in 1995 with 95% turnout and then 54% rejected the idea. And I think more than just loyalty to the monarchy, um, I think people are skeptical uh, about what comes next. Um, so it really, I feel like depends on if countries look at it as kind of this add-on like cultural just like artifact or or something where it's more active i feel like if the majority of of the country was established in line with the thinking from the crown um, and a lot of reverence for the crown then and that still stands today then what's your what's your your prerogative for getting rid of it and it's complicated, right? Like, yeah, um, it is complicated. Yeah. In, in the Canadian context, um, a lot of uh, First Nations communities have treaties with the Crown. Um, so, what happens there, right? Yeah. Those treaty rights get referenced quite a lot in disputes um, um, and holding the government accountable. So, it's not as much of a cut and dry issue that no. I think a lot of people make it out to be. Um, there are some some things in, 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 in and it's dependent on country. So it's a country by country analysis. How do the people feel about it? If it's a morale booster, I would say um positive to 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 that development. Hasan, anything you would add? Like do you do you see I don't know if we address this, but do you see other countries following suit too? Um so, in large uh, numbers? So um, I know Hirsch had mentioned uh, uh, Jamaica. Earlier. Yeah, Jamaica. I think yeah. Uh, Jamaica was. I've been made a request to the the Queen or the Crown uh, in the UK for uh, you know discussing the the payment of reparations for the treatment and and uh, the, everything that they had uh, that they have gone through as a as a people and as a country. 
Uh, I know I saw um, a while back, I uh, have a, one of my uh, homies from Ghana was telling me how like the president over there uh, was sent, was telling, uh, I guess he went over to Switzerland to have like a conference or whatever, or was meeting people over there. And Ghana is one of the largest producers of chocolate. Um, Switzerland's very well known for chocolate and Ghana is one of their largest producers of that. And uh, they were saying that there can be, he was saying that there can be no prosperity um, for their people so long as um, all that production and all that earning, you know, all goes out to, uh, is, is in the benefit of someone else as opposed to the people uh, at home, you know, where this is, where this is, just where this production is being created at, uh, where it's being made at. I believe there's actual figures I found. Give me a moment. Um, so this would have been a 2020, April 2021 article on BBC. Uh, it said uh, last year, the retail industry worth of, uh, uh, of chocolate was $107 billion, according to one projection. But Ghana, the world's second largest cocoa producer, earned just $2 billion. So, Damn. yeah, they process about 30% of, 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 its, of its country's uh, cocoa crops. So I've heard that. Um, and I just think sentiment in general is just changing, obviously, with COVID-19 and with the time off. But just in general, I think over the last few years, a lot of people have been very critical of uh, colonial-led history, or at least the colonial brand of history, um, have examined it, have, uh, have recasted it in, 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 a, in a certain light, and, and, and taken, the word of, uh, taken the word of locals more um, to try and see like the full, uh, you know, full, full round of experiences that this, that this situation has kind of created. So yeah. I, think, I think in general, like this is, is a long time coming across the board that uh, a lot of people sentiment wise, at least are going to, are going to stand against connections to institutions that have brought this level of pain yeah. to, to people across the world. So that's a great um, point. Um, and the economical uh, relationship, I feel like should be the focus for these countries um and symbolism should uh, i guess be in my mind be secondary because kind of this is this is what you have to kind of look at it as what's setting you back the most right um when you look at debt for example if you want to repay your debt usually you look at the um debts that have the highest interest rates and work your way down getting really affected economically should be something that they take a look at and then would probably be more of a net positive for their populace. I think some reparations are needed. No, for sure. I think all these talks in totality, I think need to happen. And if, if this is what starts this, this, this wave of people questioning um, the status quo, mm-hmm. then, then I'm all for that. Um, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a long time coming for sure. Hundred percent, and with situations like this, that you know, there's a lot behind just the the basic facts, right? Whether it's just mm-hmm. cutting ties, right? There's there's a, mm-hmm. so many implications and consequences mm-hmm. that one needs to consider. Um, but all all good points overall, uh, gentlemen. I'll, let's move on to our our last topic for today, and we're gonna we're gonna be like taking a completely different look and shifting away from politics and looking into the business world because there's been a lot of attention on a particular incident that happened recently. So recently, the Better.com CEO, Vishal Garg, told 900 employees to join him on a Zoom meeting. And during this Zoom meeting, again, there's 900 people on the call. 
he told each of them that they no longer had jobs at the company. And uh, when uh, understanding the rationale behind it, and again, there were like business justifications for this move. And that's not the issue. The issue was the way it was executed. But in part and parcel, the move was done in an effort to create a, a more leaner, meaner, hungrier workforce at the online mortgage company. And that's what better.com is. And uh, recently, just due to Vishal Garg's uh, move on the Zoom call and his, his past tendencies of just his leadership style, he was asked to like take a, an indefinite leave recently. So yeah, all of this stuff that's happening, that's coming to the surface as well too. But, you know, gentlemen, what I wanted to get from you and, and, and we can unpack this as we go, what does the aftermath of the better.com layoff tell us about the the, the power that employees and the public has when it comes to uh, zero tolerance of toxic work cultures? For the better.com story, it was a masterclass in what not to do when it comes to dealing with your, your, your workforce, I feel like, because he laid off, I think, 15% of the workforce weeks before the holidays. But Another there was fun. a reason for that, though. Sorry, Hirsch, not to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason for that was the company's trying to go public, right? Mm. So I think that move is like harsh as it sounds before the public makes mm. sense it's just it, it's like i think the biggest issue is like how he did it but continue to finish your thoughts yeah Sorry. yeah 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 i agree and then there are some tough decisions to make in, in in the business world but the ceo has controversy surrounding him right uh I heard of a story where um, he once threatened to staple his business partner to the wall and burn him alive for accusing him of stealing like $3 million. Um, in terms of better.com, there were, there were stories about employees uh, who were uh, talking about irregular work pla- uh, workplace practices, um, including a culture of intimidation and retaliation. There was this like weird story about employees berated uh, for the kind of water they kept in their mini fridge um, and judged off of that. So I, I don't work in the startup space, Amity. Maybe there's a there's a class system based on the water you keep in your mini fridge. I'm not sure. But um, I just feel like I don't know if things have fundamentally shifted for a majority of the workforce. Um, I feel like there are a lot of... It, and the conversation is really, really dependent on how attractive and in need your skills are, right? So let's say you're a a software developer. Of course, things have gotten a lot better. A lot of companies are clamoring uh, for you, right? Um, It's not to say that all these employees collectively are Um, more empowered because you're still seeing a lot of the same, right? Like 900 people being laid off Mm. sounds like business as usual to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to cut through the noise of all these, um, all these headlines that I'm seeing. And I feel like there are a lot of, uh, a lot of anecdotal stories. Uh, Part of that could just be the circles I'm around, right? Like a lot of people who are already in corporate have amassed a good amount of of knowledge, have amassed a good amount of uh, uh, skills and expertise. Of course, they're in more demand. 
But at the same time, when I log on to LinkedIn, for example, or I, I take a look around at some social media sites, uh, there are people who are who are talking about their desperate need to like find a job or, or land a job. Mm. I don't think it's as one-sided as it's made out to be. So even for employees thinking to like make moves, um, I know that there might be an urge to kind of stick it to your workplace if you felt like it was a toxic workplace. But I would say tread delicately because ultimately you want to um, not maintain those relationships. I don't feel like you should maintain fake relationships, but exit with grace, right? Um, and leave kind of a positive impact wherever you go. Um, and, and it speaks to who you are as a person. So try to avoid like stooping down to their level. Um, but it's unfortunate the way the way it, it worked out for those employees. 100%. Um, I think the layoffs of people is business as usual. And the way he approached it was not very empathetic to the employees and how they were treated. I think there are many ways in which a decision can be made, whether it's tough, good or bad, but people have to feel as though it's fair. And I don't think that it was more all about him and unfair. But I think what I noticed about working in a pandemic was that everything became very virtual. Like you had the Zoom calls. So mm. a lot of decision, decision making had to be done over like web conference. Whereas before it was done in a boardroom or in a meeting room that wasn't recorded at all. So we would hear these stories, but then it's done and over with. You'd see like in a newspaper, like such and such a company has laid off like 500 employees. Yeah. And that's it. But now everything else, because we due to the restrictions, due to the emergence of variants and stuff, we're all working from home, that everything is now online. So whatever decision, whatever announcement you make as a leader, an executive, that gets that can easily get like screen grabbed or recorded by someone else and then shared with the world, right? We've seen like the proliferance of uh, TikTok. Like even if you scroll down TikTok on a random day, people have like all sorts of videos, red flags about working in such a place, what your employer should do. Mm. And people are now becoming a lot more, at least from maybe say millennial Gen Z side, are becoming a lot more vocal about the mm. standards that they want. They want to make sure that the person that they're working with aligns with the values that they see um, that, that they relate to as well, right? So in some cases that uh, employers are going to have to be um, aware of what kind of values you're putting out and it's not what, what you say, but how you act at the yeah. end of the day and how people relate to it. At the end of the day as well, um, it's very different from say our own parents' generation where they would have to work like maybe say a job for years on end, go through yeah. a lot of toxicity, but then there was always a fear of like um, a clap back or like retentionment. So like there was a shroud of like, there was a shroud of secrecy that a lot of like management could hold over people. But now that's changed to a harshest point. I think it is um, not everyone in the same sector is going to benefit from this as well. If you are a factory worker or anything else, you're still going to have to work those hours, right? You can go to the media. You've, you've seen the Amazon workers trying to be unionized as well. That was just like a show of display that people wanted better work conditions. But at the end of the day, a lot of like corporations or companies still hold power. The difference is, is that um, a lot of that decision-making can easily come into the public sphere, right? So I think it is on one side, like, how do you leave with grace? How do you, as an employee, make sure you maintain that relationship? But then also from an employer side, 
how do you work and operate in a very meaningful and value and um, intentional mm. manner yeah. that will be seen as fair to anyone who's seeing it from outside. But that's my take. Um, it's a tough balance to strike though, for sure. I don't know if you guys actually watched the video when he was talking about like, oh, this is very hard uh, for me. Uh, last time I did this, I cried. I hope I can kind of keep it together. But he said it the same exact way that I just said it, right? So it's like part of an announcement, which made it like super awkward. The company is just going to go on. Um, you know, it's not going to stop its operations. If you do pass away, if you do quit, if you yeah. land another role. So I feel like that was a bit disingenuous. Um, yeah. Not, no need to add those kind of theatrics, which was kind of a slap in the, in the face when at when later he revealed, and I haven't been following as closely to see on the legal legal side, uh, the updates, but initially he said that all employees will receive the same severance, one month of pay and three months of benefits coverage. So the reason I say that's a slap in the face, it didn't take into account the amount of service for better.com. Yeah. Right? So yeah. You would have got the same thing if you joined a week before this, uh, but the week before this announcement, same thing as a guy who joined three years ago, right? So it was kind of, I feel like it opened up this um, dialogue around loyalty towards your employer, right? And I, yeah. I know a lot of people struggle with this and probably people on the podcast are, are, are or listening to the podcast are thinking through next steps. Like, oh, do I, I, I really like, like my current work conditions? You know, I, I don't think I'm maximizing my value. Um, should I be loyal? And the hard truth is, you know, you, the reality is from what I've seen as well, right? It's like, you want to have that shared culture and you want to give the company um, fair work for what they're paying you and you want to join in the success. But I feel like you should these are kind of stories that remind you that you should always center your employment journey around yourself. Right. Um, Correct, yeah. And you're better off thinking about what is best for you in the corporate world. It's like you're permanent until you get fired. Right. <laughs> or you're permanent until you're gone. So uh -huh. uh, I feel like it's, it, that was the theme that I took out of, out of the story personally it was just a reminder that yeah. like, you always center your, your journey around yourself because if you let things happen to you, right? Like say I was in at better.com, like now I don't have a job. It's a holiday season. We're already thugging it out when it comes to home, uh, the, the lockdowns, right? It's just like a cascade of potential like uh, mental health consequences as opposed to if I was proactive in my career, um, maybe I, it's not to say that this can never happen to you, but maybe you have those kind of, um, domino set. So if something falls, you can move on to the next thing. You've already built those connections yeah. depending on one company to do everything for you. It, very interesting that that's the perspective you took, because I think for a lot of people, it was, uh, everyone was outraged. Everyone thought about like how this was an atrocity. It brought up the question around whether, uh, authoritative leadership is losing its touch because that's essentially what Vishal Garg basically ruled better.com with, right? Like it was just, he ruled with an iron fist, but from what I'm hearing from you, Hirsch, is that it, it was kind of like a, a, a gruesome reminder 
that nothing's ever guaranteed, not even your job. Right. So yeah. the importance of being proactive, um, which, yeah, I think to, to the point around just like you're seeing a lot of that, at least I'm seeing that a lot of that here in the U S is that a lot of people are leaving their jobs in droves, um, not necessarily because they have something else lined up, but because they're just looking for something better because of like environments and cultures, like the one at better.com. Mm-hmm. What, what's on your mind? As far as like turnover rate and things like that, um, especially in corporate spaces back in the day, like years ago, um, decades ago, you'd hear stories about people staying at the same job for like multiple years and kind of being grandfathered in and certain things like that and, and being content that, you know, they wouldn't be let go. But obviously things have changed uh, in the last few years. And, and uh, that dream of, you know, getting a, getting, getting a job in you know, like your mid twenties or early thirties and sticking to that and all the way till retirement, um, that, may not exactly be a reality going forward for a lot of people in today's time. Um, there's going to be for mo- most likely for most people's futures, a lot, a lot of turnover rate. And one positive that I find though, is that our generation and the generations to come kind of see that for what it is. Um, I feel like a little bit more and uh, where I disagree, pretty, but continue. Uh, yeah. It because, could be because, you're right. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good challenge. Yeah, I think it might. It is also. It also can be dependent. A hundred percent. So I think though the irony in all this is that when people move jobs and then potentially come back to the company, in a weird way, I feel like a lot of them are regarded higher. So like it's like oh this comes person comes in with a fresh perspective yeah and even on the pay scale if there was pay transparency i would reckon that they actually get paid a bit more um kind of for that additional outside experience so as people consider whether or not to just climb up the corporate ladder where they are um it's not a one-size-fits-all approach i mean if your company is doing great for you in terms of compensation in terms of growth in terms of opportunity and networking it's not to say that you can't have a long career in a company Mm -hmm. Um, it's just be mindful because people know right at the end of the day the hardest person to lie to is yourself right so you know whether you're being treated with dignity with respect you know if your situation is becoming better or worse Um, so for those who overall feel negative I think these are just kind of reminders that you should get the ball rolling in terms Correct. of ideas and how you yeah. think about what your next step is, because um, yeah. there's a shot clock. You might not see it, but there's a but shot there is, clock. Yeah. Right? It exists. Yeah. yeah, it exists. Yeah. To Hirsch and I think even to Eddie's point, um, like it's not like what we used to, it's not like what our parents saw back in the day. Right. So yeah. actually for me personally, some of the people that I know personally that have kind of not necessarily bounced around, but like have, you know, have explored different employers, um, at least at the first stage of their careers have thrived, right? Um, whether it's financially or even just career-wise, like professionally, like they've been able to move up the ranks uh-huh. uh, versus people that have kind of just, that have like stayed with the same employer. And like for even the latter, like they've done well for themselves, but I'm sure like if um, it's, it's, it's definitely not as contra- or stark as it is with people that have like kind of moved around. Mm-hmm. gotcha well we're gonna end it there gentlemen uh it's a good conversation today we kind of touched on a variety of different topics from from north korea to to fintech 
right here in the in the United States. But uh, thank you for your time today. This was good. It was a fun episode. It's been a while, but it's been it's good to be back to recording. Uh, and thanks for your perspectives as always. Uh, for our listeners, thank you for for tuning into today's episode, and we hope you're as excited as we were. And uh, thank you always for the overwhelming support. Uh, you know, we've gotten such an overwhelming amount of support from from people along this journey who enjoy the conversation, who enjoy the dialogue. And as always, we would always welcome your uh, and love your feedback for how we can make this a better listening experience as we kick off season three. We are on Instagram. Please leave your comments on our page at the Say Word Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode of Say Word, please comment, share, and subscribe. Three simple steps for support go a long way. And we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Be safe, everyone, and enjoy the holiday season. Bye.